John 15, 18 through 16, 4. This is the word of Almighty God. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Pray with me, friends. Lord, once again we bow and once again we seek your face. God, with what we have to study today, we need your presence and your spirit, your encouragement and your courage, your life-changing gospel. I pray you give it to us in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Much of what we will study this morning, as you heard when I read the text, paints for us a dark picture. It's impossible to read what we just read, understand it, believe it, and come away with a silly, smiley, no big deal attitude. I'm going to bet that none of you have those verses quilted into a pillow or embroidered or something. This is a text that's intended by God to sober us, to weave steel into our resolve, and to prepare us for a difficult journey in front of us. But if you stay with me through this, we'll find hope real hope in the middle of it. How many of you have ever heard of the old advertising scheme that they call bait and switch? Yep. It's an old tactic. Stores, advertisers, they use it. They want to get your attention. They want to sell you stuff. And it works like this. The store advertises a particular product, say a new TV at a really good price. But the problem is, they only stock one or two of these babies to sell, 
so that when you come into the store hoping to buy that new TV, the cheap ones are all gone. But the salesperson has a solution for your woes. For just a few dollars more, you can buy this other more expensive model. Well, why would you even think about it? Well, you've already made the trip to the store. You've already got your heart set on having this new TV. So you're more likely actually to spend more money than you wanted on a model that you didn't want. Because, hey, who wants to leave empty-handed? They gave you the bait. It was a great deal on one TV. They switched it on you to sell you something more expensive. Bait and switch. How many of you have ever experienced the bait and switch somewhere before? Okay. It is obnoxious, isn't it? Don't you hate it? Car dealer? You ever go to the car lot and get the bait and switch? Again, Good Friday deals, bait and switch. But if that's true on selling TV sets and trivial things, don't you think it would be even more frustrating when the bait and switch happens with something more significant? For example, if someone tries to bait and switch when they talk about Christianity, that's got to be frustrating, angering, annoying. The faith is the most important thing in the whole wide world. Does it happen? Well, think for a moment about the way some people will try to convince others that they should follow Jesus. It's a good thing. You see a slick salesperson offering somebody endless joy, perfect peace, and an all-around easy life. And if that's not enough, they'll sell Christianity to the lost as a way to make your kids behave, your marriage thrive, and your teeth somehow whiter. You just sign up with Jesus, and God will set you up as if you are royalty. He'll potty train your kids by age two and increase the value of your retirement account by 30% in a year. Sign right here. Don't you want it? Okay, maybe it's not that bad. Actually, it is sometimes. I've heard worse. Truth is, following Jesus does give a Christian eternal joy. We get countless benefits. I will tell you, Christianity is a good thing. I'm glad I'm in. But we need to be careful and we need to be honest about what it means to be a Christian living in the middle of a fallen world. Coming to Jesus does not make your life easy. In fact, if you believe the words of Jesus... Coming to Jesus may, in fact, give you a significantly harder life. But coming to Jesus also yields a life of purpose and meaning, inner joy, and a glorious resurrection. So Christians, I have two major questions I want you to ponder as we finally get started this morning. First, when you talk about Christianity, do you tell the truth about what it means to follow Jesus? 
Do you speak realistically to other people about what Jesus says? Because he said his followers are going to face some rough stuff. Or are you more of a bait and switch evangelist? The other question is this. Are you with me? Because I, I want your attention on this one. Is your Christian life marked by the kinds of experiences Jesus promised? Jesus said, you, if you follow him, are going to be persecuted, even hated by the world. Is that your experience? And if not, what do you think that says? Let's get started today. We're going to find four points together as we talk about preparing for persecution. Point number one, expect the world's hostility. Expect the world's hostility. I want to read verses 18 to 21 of chapter 15. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Remember, we're still with Jesus. We're between the time of the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we listen... Jesus is preparing his disciples both for his death and for his later departure, his ascension into heaven. He's already told his followers about the importance of abiding in his love. He's called them to love one another. And now for the next several verses, Jesus is going to prepare them for the pain and the suffering that accompanies their lives if they actually follow him. Look at that line. It begins... If the world hates you. It's a strange thought for the minds of so many, isn't it? We preach love. We preach self-sacrifice. We preach caring for the poor. We preach caring for the needy. We preach genuine biblical justice. We preach God's matchless grace. We preach his offer of unlimited pardon for everybody who would receive it. How could the world hate us? I think I'm adorable. Jesus gives us two reasons why the world will, not might, but will hate us. One, we're chosen out of the world. We're different than the world. Jesus said in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a clear difference between the Christian and the world in which the Christian lives. How many of you Christians feel like you're different than the world you live in? Paul makes the same case in Colossians 1.13. 
writing, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The author of Hebrews pictures the faithful as leaving one homeland for something totally different. When he says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 11, 15, 16. Because we who have Jesus have been changed in our citizenship, in our mindset, in our behavior, we are different from the world. Now, listen to me carefully when I say we're not different because we're naturally better. I'm naturally a dum-dum. But God changes us and, and, God, and the world sees the differences in our decision-making. They see the differences in the things that we value. And they see those things as odd and something that they will eventually hate and fear. If the world sees us living righteously, they'll hate it. Because righteousness in our actions and attitudes reminds them of their unrighteousness. You ever notice, by the way, that the world hates judgmentalism more than sinfulness? You ever notice that the greatest sin these days is not to do something that's actually wrong, but to dare think that something might be wrong? Why? Is it not the truth that the world would rather be full of people who act as they do and who bring to their minds no reminders that they are in danger of the judgment of Almighty God? Second reason Jesus says the world will hate us is because of our association with him. They hated Jesus. How do you know the world hated Jesus? They crucified him. And if they hated Jesus, they'll hate us too. We are his servants. He's the master. If they hated the master, they'll hate those who represent the master. If they had loved the master, they'd love us too. But they didn't love him. Mostly, the world rejected him. And in doing so, they rejected God. And today, the world still mostly rejects Jesus. The world still mostly rejects his followers. The world still mostly rejects God. Now, why do you need to know this stuff? Jesus wants you to be aware of what is in front of you if you follow him. To truly follow Jesus will lead you into a lack of ultimate friendship with those who don't follow Jesus. Truly following Jesus is going to put you in a place where those who don't follow Jesus will dislike you, will misunderstand you, and will ultimately come to hate you. Now, here's a quick word of caution. Be careful, because some of us do a lot to speed up the process of being hated. Can you not amen that? 
If you parade around with a superior, holier-than-thou, unloving attitude, if you're the nasty voice on the internet, the world will hate you, but not because of who Jesus is, but because of who you are. Do you guys agree with that? We can bring on our own persecution by being full of ourselves, unloving and arrogant. This, by the way, for you who need simple points, is the don't be a jerk point. We, of all people, and I think you can agree with this too, we, of all people, should be the most humble, the most contrite people on the planet. Let me just ask you, how many of you had something you needed to be forgiven of? We of all people understand this. God is holy and holy to an infinite degree. And we have been guilty of sin before that God. And we have earned a judgment of infinite scope. We understand that we're saved not by our goodness, not by our smartness, We're saved by God's grace in the brutal sacrifice of his son on the cross at Calvary. We have no grounds for being boastful. We have no room to act as though we're superior to the people around us. We were chosen by God to be God's followers, not because of goodness in us. God chose us because God wanted a people through whom he could demonstrate his grace by saving sinners. And y'all, sinners, we were. How much pride do you get in thinking, the reason God might have saved me is because I was really good at sin? Because that's the best reason you've got for why God might have saved you. He wanted to display his graciousness and you could be a trophy of that grace. Even today, while God calls us today saints, children of God, we still battle against the flesh, and we don't always win, do we? Just, again, quick question. How many of you have had the flesh come out maybe once in the last, I don't know, six months? Six hours? Six minutes? (laughs) Let's be careful, friends, not to bring persecution upon ourselves because we have haughty attitudes. And we also, though, we we need to be prepared because the world will oppose us. Sometimes the world will hate us. If we follow Jesus, it's just gonna happen. Eventually, People who are around you who are lost will hate you. They will hate us. They will hate the faith. Don't be surprised. Don't feel like God has pulled the bait and switch on you when he lets you be hated or he lets you be persecuted. God told you in very clear language. And he said, be ready. Resolve in your heart, Christian. Resolve in your heart, here and now, that the favor of God is worth more to you than the favor of mankind. Expect the world to hate you. But don't just sit around 
saying, oh, the world's going to hate me, poor me. Point number two, share the gospel and leave the world without excuse. Share the gospel and leave the world without excuse. I'm going to do 22 to 25 now. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus shifts here to the dangerous state of the people who are in the world still rejecting him. And this whole section serves to say one simple thing. The people who hear about Jesus and reject Jesus, they bear their own guilt before God. When Jesus said, had he not come, the world would not have sin. Jesus was not here saying that the world would be sinlessly perfect if only they hadn't heard about Jesus. If that was what Jesus was saying, we would never send missionaries. It would be evil, right? Don't tell them now they're guilty. That is not what the word of God teaches. Romans 3.23 tells us clearly from God, all people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But there is a particular guilt. For someone who hears the message of Jesus and then willfully turns away from it. All sinners will be judged by God with infinite, eternal wrath for their sins unless they're forgiven by Jesus. But the one who knowingly rejects Jesus, that one bears special guilt for his sin. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, talking about some of the cities around him says he began to, be, to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now Jesus didn't say there in Matthew eleven twenty four twenty to 24, he didn't say, hey, those cities have an excuse that's going to get them out of God's judgment. What he said is they're not as guilty as the ones who knowingly rejected him. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20, the Bible says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Everybody who can see nature at all Understand nature at all. Understand reality and creation at all is accountable to God and without excuse. All people have enough knowledge of God through his creation that they are without excuse before him and they will face his judgment if they do not have their sins forgiven by Jesus. 
In verse 25, Jesus tells his followers that God's word predicted that the world would reject him. And that rejection of Jesus, sadly, is a rejection of God himself. If you reject Jesus, you reject God. Jesus said, whoever hates me hates my father also, verse 23, and then he repeated it in 24. So what do we do? We got all these words from Jesus. What are we supposed to do with this? If you can hear my voice and you have never run to Jesus, asking Jesus, please, Lord Jesus, forgive me, believing in him and him alone, you need to do that. You should. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, you must. If you have not sought forgiveness in Jesus, do it today. Because to reject Jesus is to reject God and to earn for yourself a harsh forever judgment. You have been warned. If you're a Christian, though, these words should be stirring you to action. We want everybody in the world to hear the command of Jesus to come to Jesus for mercy, don't we? And I don't want anybody in the world to pretend before God that they couldn't have known. Do you, do you want to stand and see somebody say to God, well, nobody told me. Or would you rather know that you did everything you could to tell them? Years ago, I was street preaching in New Orleans. I'm not, I think Phil Nelson was with me that year. So if you guys remember him, he's a nut. Uh, and my mother had been on a vacation. She and my dad went on a cruise and she brought me about the ugliest hat ever made by man. <laughs> remember the painter's hat with little dreadlocks on it? On the, yeah, that was great, great. When I was in New Orleans walking down the street one day, someone stole my hat. And I smiled at them when they did it. And a friend of mine and I realized that hat may be in heaven. Because there may be a guy who tries to say to God, there was nobody who told me about grace. There was nobody who warned me about Jesus. Look, and whip out that ugly hat. Remember the guy you took this from? Remember what he was saying to you? Actually, we were walking down the street. There was a guy with a cross at that moment. The funny thing is, I'm not the biggest fan of street evangelism as far as thinking it's going to bring about a lot of results of conversions on the street. But I love the fact that we will be witnesses either to someone's salvation or to someone's condemnation, but we will be witnesses to the glory of God when we tell people the truth. So we go. And we tell people the good news that Jesus died for sinners and that they can, in fact, be forgiven. We tell them if they will come to Jesus in faith, he will forgive them their sins. We never bait and switch. We don't offer people easy, perfect lives from now on. What we do tell them is that Jesus is willing to forgive them and to give them a perfect eternity if they will only place their entire faith in him and him alone. Friends, let's love God enough and love people enough to share the gospel with the world and leave them without an excuse. Now, let me ask you, how many of you think that feels like a big task? You guys feel like this task is bigger than you? 
If you don't, you're wrong. This task is bigger than you. But point number three says this. Share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. How do we go out and share the gospel with a world who will hate us for doing so? There's only one way. We need a helper. We need the helper. And thanks be to God, he sends us the very one we need. Holy Spirit proceeds from God the Father, sent out on a mission. He comes to earth. He came to earth as a helper for believers. The Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. The Spirit also will empower us to live in fellowship with God. Turn from sin. Tell others about Jesus. Jesus does not leave you alone to fend for yourself. Verse 27, Jesus says, through the Holy Spirit, his followers will tell the world about him. The disciples, the ones with Jesus from the beginning, they're going to tell the world about Jesus, even though the world is going to put Jesus to death. Even the world is going to murder disciple after disciple after disciple. They're going to keep telling the world about Jesus because of the Holy Spirit of God present within them. And though you and I are not part of that original 11 disciples, we've got the same Holy Spirit present within our lives if we know Jesus. And because of that, every last one of us has the ability in the Spirit to tell the lost world they need Jesus if they want to be saved. Christians, it is our duty and our delight to tell the world about the glorious Son of God. It is frightening to bring that message into a hostile world, but we can do it with confidence because we have the Spirit of God living within us as our helper. Some people who hear will be saved. Does that make you happy to know? As the church preaches, it ain't gonna fail. As the church preaches, our sovereign God will use your weak witness to save eternal souls. And it's not dependent on how good at it you are. Aren't you glad about that? What would you do if you knew that people's eternal salvation was based on your skill? How many of you want that burden? You better thank God for this helper. It's true, some people out there are going to hate us. Some people will hate the spirit of God that's within us. But you know what? We're going to keep sharing the gospel in the power of the spirit of God for the sake of God's glory. Don't back down. Don't let fear defeat you. Share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the world without excuse. And our last point this morning, prepare yourself for persecution. John 16, 1 to 4. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Again, ask this question. Goodness gracious, Travis, why preach that in this message? This is not fun. Why would Jesus paint this dark picture of the persecution that the church will face? Why would he tell us of the violence the world might want to do to us? He does it, friends, because he does not want you to fall away when it comes. I remember once hearing a guy talking about his view of the end times and believing that a really, really hard season may come on the world one day. He said, I think the worst thing that you could do is preach to people that that hard time's coming, but don't you worry about it. I'm sure you'll be fine. He said, no, now's the time to weave iron into the character of your soul and those of your children to be ready for anything that may come. If you think that following Jesus is going to lead you to easy living with no problems or pain in this life, you might find it pretty difficult to know what to do when you see a world that's hostile to Jesus and to his followers. If you think Christianity is going to make you more beloved by your friends and family, if you think Christianity will earn you the respect of the immoral, you're going to be shocked when you hear an atheist say they want to outlaw Christianity. They want to ban parents from raising children in accord with their faith. When they say things like, those who don't agree with us do not deserve the oxygen of respectability. Jesus wants us to be prepared for the hatred and the persecution of the world. So he gives us one more warning here. He says, first century believers, you're going to be put out of the synagogue. The people of Jesus are going to have their own nation. The Jews turn against them and kick them out of the cultural community centers. Those believers would have lost relationships with friends and family members, and that would have hurt. But even worse, Jesus says there are going to be people who oppose, who put Christians to death, and they're going to think that they're serving God when they do it. By the way, in case you think that didn't happen, the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, was a man named Saul. And he says about this about himself in Acts 26, 9 to 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And even in our modern society, don't you know the world's going to kick us out of their organizations from time to time? People will violently oppose Christians in the world. They will think they're doing the world a service when they do it. Jesus says in verse 3, the reason they do these things is because they do not know him. They do not know God. 
Why warn us like this, Jesus? I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. There you go. He warns us so that we get ready for these things. He told the disciples, I'm telling you guys this stuff now because I'm about to leave you. And when I leave you, the persecution is going to be aimed right at you. Christians, are you ready for persecution? Do you believe that because we're in America, you could never face persecution? How many of you believe that it'll never happen in the good old U.S. of A.? How many of you believe it's possible that Christians could suffer hardship in the U.S. of A? By the way, does that mean the church is losing? No. God will prevail. But are you willing to suffer hardship and scorn during your lifetime? Are you willing to face ridicule, pain, and even death for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is Jesus worth it? Are you willing to let the world around you think that you're a fool for the sake of Jesus? Are you willing to get shut out of social circles and betrayed by friends and made fun of behind your back or in front of your face because of Jesus? Are you willing to go to prison to torture to the grave? Because of Jesus. Jesus wants you to be ready for those things. That's why he gives us the warnings that he did. Now ask yourself this. Ready for the hard question? Why is this stuff not happening to me? Few of us suffer real persecution for the sake of the gospel. I bet if I polled this room and said, how many of you have actually taken one punch for the gospel? It might be one of you. But it's not 10 of you. To be sure, some people do suffer these things for the sake of the gospel. But not as many as should. Why do people not want to bust into the room with us and shut us down? Why do they not want to slash our tires and throw bricks through the windows and have us locked away? Could just be timing. But could it be, could it be that the reason they don't hate us right now is that they don't see us as that drastically different than they are? Could it be that they don't see Jesus in us and so they don't hate the Jesus in us they cannot see? Could it be that we're not giving our all to share the gospel with them in the power of the Holy Spirit to leave them without excuse before God? I want you to ask yourself those questions and I want you to just see what God leads you to think. Some of you here may not yet be believers. (laughs) And you're probably thinking after this sermon that I painted with the words of Jesus, why in the world would I want to join this club? 
If you brought guests this morning, I apologize. It's not as bad as bringing people when Anthony preached last time and it was the immorality passages. That was fun. Look, I get it. None of that sounds appealing, does it? But I won't bait and switch you. I won't lie to you. Christianity does not guarantee you an easy life. But I'll tell you this. God exists. There is a God who made you and he made you with a purpose. The reason you exist is because you are supposed to glorify God with every aspect of your life. And none of us have done it. All of us have rebelled against God, every last one of it. You're guilty, I'm guilty, we're guilty. You can't claim to be an innocent. And because you're guilty, you're in danger of facing the judgment of God in hell forever because that is the right judgment for anybody who has ever sinned against God. I deserve to go to hell forever because I have rebelled against God. The only escape is this. God offers you grace that God purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And if you want to avoid the wrath of God, and believe me, you do, If you want to live forever with God in a perfect heaven after your life ends, you want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. So if God is showing you this morning that you need forgiveness, I invite you, come to know Jesus today. It's not all cotton candy and fun and games as you follow Jesus. In fact, Following Jesus may very well be the hardest thing you ever do. But I'll tell you this, it'll give you real peace with God. It'll give you true joy as you actually become what God created you to be. And it will save your soul from being eternally destroyed and grant you life with God forever in glory. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer could be summarized as saying, the grace of God is free, but it's never cheap, and it's always worth it. Christians, I've got two things to say to you as we wrap up. First, Christians, well, let me just ask real quick, how many of you feel a little guilty today? I know, me too. So let's make sure we remember the gospel. You don't have to earn your way to God by being strong in hard times. Aren't you glad? Your position before God is not based on your goodness, your ability, your strength. You are a child of God, Christians, by grace, through faith, in Christ, and Christ's faithfulness. So I want you, Christians, to hear this call. Even today, rest in Jesus And cling to Jesus. Listen to the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do not, Christians, do not hear the solemn warning today as a prediction of failure. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Jesus does. Jesus' church will grow. The gates of hell will not prevail. And believers like you and me, we're going to share the gospel. We may suffer, but we will see people come to faith. We will see lives changed. And get this, Christians, even you who feel guilty this morning, and I don't bring you in here to lay burdens of guilt on your shoulder, but even those of us who feel that sorrow, Jesus said this to you, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And the forever presence of Jesus, that will be the source of our eternal joy. Let's pray together. God, I am so glad to have been here today. Even with a hard message about a hard world in which we live, I'm grateful, God, that you have shown us true hope and true mercy. Right now, God, every last one of us needs to examine our lives and we need to know, are we being faithful? Help us to learn how to be faithful. Father, forgive us, I pray, for the worldliness that would make the world not want to persecute us. Bring us to repentance. Help us never to bring our own persecution on ourselves just with bad attitudes and nasty personalities. But do, I pray, make us faithful to you, faithful to your word. Help us look different than the world to your glory. Help us, Lord, to look like our king, to faithfully represent our king and to understand what that may entail. For those who don't know you, I pray that you will just work in them to see the value of knowing you, even when it's costly. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.